Testing, testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Now it's recorded. It's recorded. This, this, this is Jenny Cutler Larson recording my life story. <coughs> I was born December the 29th, 1908 at Willard, Utah. I was the oldest of a family of seven children. My father's name was Joseph Ransom Cutler, who was born the 14th of June, 1886, at Union Fort by Salt, near Salt Lake City. My mother's name was Jenny Roselle Wood, R-O-Z-E-L-L-E -L -L -E, Wood, and she was born in Willard, Utah. Uh, Dr. R.A. Purse of Brigham City was the attending physician. I was born at my grandmother's and grandfather's home in Willard. All of the grandchildren were born there because Grandma Clara was a practical nurse and midwife and uh, she called Dr. Purse because it wasn't time for me to be born yet. And uh, Dr. Purse came in his buggy and horses from Brigham City. And <laughs> the amusing thing is that 23 years later, I was the superintendent of nursing for his small hospital in Brigham City. I had a brother, my ransom, Josiah Cutler, who was born 13th of February, 1911, in Willard. And then my sister, Lenora, was born the 5th of February, 1916, in Korean. I remember definitely the day she was born because I was seven years old and in the first grade. It was a terrible winter with snow and cold and uh, by February I had started school in September and by February I had learned to read a little bit and I could read the first reader that they gave the first grade students and the teacher let me take it home to read it to my mother to show her what I'd, I had learned. Well when I got home my grandmother Wood was there, and Mother was sick in bed and with a new baby lying by her in the bed. And uh, she seemed to be sleepy all the time. And I said to Grandma Wood, but I've got to read my book to her. And she said, you can't read your book to her. Mama's sick for today. But I went in, and after a while, Mother woke up and and this looked at me and smiled and I said mama I read I brought my book home to read to you and she said all right sit down on the floor here by the bed and read it to me so I sat down on the floor by the bed and she put her arm hung her arm down from the bed and put it around my shoulders and I read my first grade my first first grade book to mother the day that Lenora was born 
uh, Joyce was born the 8th of January, 1919. Lenora had been born the 2nd of February in 1916. This was 1919 in Brigham City. Uh, she, uh, we were living in a, the Edwin Gilbert home about a mile north of Corinne for the winter and the flu, the Spanish influenza was raging everywhere. They had closed the schools and there was no one around. And uh, I remember Ransom, we always called him Bud. Uh, my father was working down to Corinne on the river cutting ice to put in the ice house and which that is what they did to keep the refrigerators and the meat market going in the summer. And Mother Paines had been started a little bit in the morning when he left for work and he said, if they get worse, send Buddy down to get me in Corinne and Bud knew where he was working. So uh, about 11 o'clock, the pains got much worse, so Mother said to Bud, I think you had better go tell Daddy to come and take me down to Willard to Grandma's. And uh, so, and she says, don't stop and play along the way. Go. Just go and find Daddy. And he put on his boots and winter clothes and headed out along this little narrow trail in the road. And he was running the last time I saw him, and he said he ran all the way down to Corinne a mile in that zero weather. And when he got down to the river where the men were working, he couldn't see Dad anywhere, so he asked one of the men, where was Daddy? And he, the men sort of knew that Mother was expecting, and it was her time was close. So they yelled for Dad, who was out on the working on the ice on the river, <laughs> told him he'd better come in, and pointed to Bud standing by him. And he came right away, and they he put Bud up on the horse, one of the horses. He took his team of horses down there to work, put him up on in front of him on one of the horses, and they came home and took Mother, loaded her in a car, and uh, we didn't have a car at that time. I think this car must have been uh, Mr. Hadley's car. He had been our neighbor before we moved up on the ranch, uh, Gilbert's ranch, and uh, he came up to get Mother, and they started for Willard. Well, when they got to Brigham, her pains were quite a bit worse and mother said I think we'd better stop here and let the doctor know that we're on our way because he'll have to come down and <coughs> so they stopped at the hospital in Brigham and at Dr. Purse's office and he came and looked at her and he said you can't go any farther that baby's coming right now come in the hospital so they took her in the hospital and put her to bed and she had the baby in just a few minutes after she got there. Uh, that was the most fortunate thing that happened because they didn't know at the time that Grandma 
Woods' house down at Willard was filled with relatives with the flu. So she escaped the flu by having Joyce in the hospital in Brigham. And then they moved her back to the ranch where we were when she was, after she'd been there for a couple of weeks. Uh, when she brought her home, I remember we were having supper and Lenora, who was two years, no, three years older than Joyce, got down from her chair and went into the other, the front room, we called it, where Joyce was asleep, rolled up in her blanket on the couch in the front room. And all of a sudden, we heard the baby scream, and Mother and Dad jumped up and ran in the other room. And there stood Lenora, holding Joyce by both hands with her feet, little feet on the floor. And she said, they said, what are you doing? And they grabbed the baby, and she said, she wouldn't walk. I wanted her to walk out to the table and have supper, and she wouldn't walk. And the baby was 10 days old. Uh, Venna was born in Brigham City on the 11th of April, 1921. By that time, uh, Grandpa and Grandma Wood had moved up to Brigham City, and uh, so Venna was born there. Uh, Mabel Eileen was born the 24th of August, 1924, in Korean, and... Uh, <laughs> I remember so well the day she was born because we were living at what we called the big house. It was a farm that Dad had rented out about a mile west of Corinne, and it had a huge, for those days, house built on it. It had been, the farm had previously been owned by some fairly well-to-do people, and they had built this large house that which had two stories and bedrooms upstairs and uh, it even had some water piped in there was no bathroom or toilet facilities but it had a cold water tap with a wooden sink <laughs> in the kitchen and uh, this was it she was born the 24th of august well that was right in the middle of harvest season for the grain. And uh, when Mother got sick, her, her pain started coming in that. They uh, hiked all we kids across the street to, our, to Mother's cousin's home, Will Wood's place. And we stayed there the rest of the night. Well, in the morning, the baby wasn't born yet, but the thrashing crew sent word that they were coming to start thrashing Dad's grain that day. Well, they didn't know what to do, but Mother said, well, tell Jenny to come home and she can get dinner for the thrashing crew. So uh, I got dinner for the crew of thrashers, which was about eight men, and uh, Mother was having her pains in the bedroom right next to the room where the men were eating and she couldn't say anything or make a noise. But anyway, I fed the thrashing crew and I was, this was 1924. So 
I was 10, I was 16 years old, between 15 and 16. And, uh, but they got along all right. Well, Eileen was born in the afternoon, and I took care of mother and the baby, washed the baby and that. And M Emily Hewlett came out from Korean and helped with mother during the delivery. And then I cleaned mother up and changed the bed and washed the baby. So that was my introduction to <laughs> nursing. Uh, Robert Wayne, the last boy, was born the 11th of September in 1927 in Brigham City. And uh, I uh, had graduated from high school in the spring of 1927 and had a, then I developed appendicitis later in the summer and uh, he uh, so I had come home from the hospital and we always if you went to the hospital you always came home to grandma wood cuz she was the nurse and the midwife in the family and stayed with them a few days before we went to our own home and i was staying with grandma wood for a few days before i felt strong enough to go home mother came in and uh had robert there in the house and in grandma wood's house in brigham and i remember grandpa wood was getting quite feeble then and he was sitting in his armchair by the kitchen stove and when uh, Bob was born grandpa said well is that is the baby here and grandma said yes and he, grandpa went over and looked at the clock and toddled over with his two canes and looked up at the clock and said yes that's right and I know exactly when he was born. <laughs> uh, that's the listing of our family. Uh, the first thing I remember was the Christmas that I was three years old. I don't remember too much before that, but I do remember the Christmas that I was three years old. Uh, we were living in Corinne at uh, Mrs. Kling's place, who was a, a nice Methodist lady that had two rooms that she was always renting to people, and Dad and Mother had rented them. And uh, uh, for Christmas that year, I got a doll, which I always, the girls in our family always got a doll for Christmas, except one Christmas. And uh, Bud, who was uh, not quite a year old, uh, but he was walking at the time, toddling around. They, because he was born in February and he wasn't quite a year old yet, but he could walk around. And they bought him a little rubber chicken that you held in your hand, and when you squeezed it, the little whistle in it made it kind of go make a noise. And I wanted. The I played with my doll for a while, and I can remember Bud standing by the chair, holding to the chair and squeak, squeezing his little chicken. 
and I wanted to squeeze it, and he wouldn't give it to me because that was his. And I tried to pull it away from him, and Mother came over and she said, No, that is Bud's. You got a doll. When he gets through playing with it and says you can play with it, then you can take it and play with it, but not until... My dad didn't have a farm of his own, and he worked around wherever he could find work for a while. And so we moved every little while. Sometimes it'd be just a few couple of months, and sometimes it would be a year or two we'd be in a place, but we moved quite often. At one time, <clears throat> when I was about three, I think it was, a little after, we lived at a place out east of uh, Snowville, about, oh, I would say maybe five miles, as nearly as I can remember. And uh, Mother cooked for some men that were working on this ranch, and, and Dad worked with the fellows. And we had a little two-room house that was up on some stilts or something we had to climb a flight of stairs to get into the little two-roomed house but anyway it was we were there during the summer and it was quite a the yard was full of sagebrush and and just wild plants and that and the rattlesnakes were quite thick and bud was big enough to get out and run around by himself so he must have been uh, sometime three and a half about three and or uh, I'd be about three and a half and he'd be about 18 months or 20 months old something like that but mother said always watch him because he was crazy about ropes playing with ropes at the fellows had there and sometimes they'd just coil up a rope and throw it down on the ground and go off someplace else that wasn't their ropes. They weren't too concerned about it. Just Why isn't it I rewound it and I wanted to hear how it sounded, but it isn't recording or anything, making any sound. Ropes, and I remember, but I remember one time there was a lady or a family that lived. Oh, a ways away, I would say maybe it was two miles or so from north of us, and uh, that would be east of Snowville. And she invited Mother up to come to come up and spend the day, and because they were, she had a quilt on, and she knew Mother could quilt, and she invited her to come up and spend the day. So Mother's arranged with the cooking for the man some way so she could be gone during noon 
And in the morning, we got in the buggy and to help her out, the, the neighbor, this lady's cow was dry. So mother took a couple of two-quart bottles of milk, fresh milk, from uh, that she had there, good milk, that she had uh, been milked in the morning. And uh, so it was all getting fairly close to noon, so... We loaded everything, her dad helped her load the stuff in the, a box that she put behind the seat in the buggy that had this milk and I can't remember what else. Anyway, it was something that would help make the dinner. And we got in the buggy and uh, mother and we two kids and headed for this neighbor's lady's place. And it, it must have been a ways because, quite a way, because... Uh, when we got there, they went to take out the box that had the milk in for dinner, <laughs> and all the cream that was in the milk, the milk had been shaken and joggled so much in the buggy on the way over there that there wasn't any cream left. It was all butter that was floating in the top of the milk bottles. <laughs> it was shortly after that, around that time, Anyway, I must have been about four years old. We uh, went in and stayed with Grandpa and Grandma Wood down to Willard. And uh, Uncle Charlie's wife, Vella, had died with the flu. Or, no, it was his, his second wife. His first wife died, and then he married Aunt Blanche. And she died with the flu. Anyway, Ted and Verna were staying with Grandpa and Grandma, and they were raising them. The Watkins man used to come around all the time. About once a month, he'd come around with his buggy and uh, kind of cab on the back that had the things that he had for sale. And we kids soon found out that if we had an egg to give him, a fresh egg, he would give us a piece or two of candy. So we always, when it was time for the uh, Watkins man to come, we always tried to be sure that we each, all four of us, Ted and Verna and Bud and I, that we each had an egg to give them. Well, somehow we got the idea, someone said that if you ran chickens up a greasy board, uh, they would that would make them lay eggs. And one time it was time for the Watkins man to come and we didn't have any eggs, so we decided that uh, we'd better arrange some way to run some chicken, some of the hens up a greasy board in the chicken coop. So we found a big old board that had some big splotches of grease on it and took it in the chicken coop and laid it from the, the floor up to the roost. And then all four of us went in the chicken coop and locked the door from the inside so the chickens couldn't get out. And then we'd grab a hen and take them and try to walk them up this greasy board. Sometimes it'd take two of us to hold one hen they'd fight. So, And you can imagine the mess that <laughs> and the noise that those chickens made they flopped and screeched and carried on and we were always laughing in that 
but we were trying to run each one of them up the greasy board so they'd be sure and lay an egg for us. And finally, the dust got so thick in there we could hardly breathe, but we still kept at it. And finally, bang, bang, bang on the door. It was Grandma and Mother come out to see what was going on in the chicken coop. The kids had all disappeared, and there was an awful racket in the chicken coop. So they wanted to know what we were doing in there, and we told them we were running the chickens up a greasy board. And Grandma said she was a disciplinarian in the family, and she said, all right, open this door this instant and let those chickens out so they can get out and get some fresh air and some water. <laughs> we didn't want to, but she told us we'd better, so we opened the door and let them out. And when <laughs> Grandma and Mother came in, there we were, four kids, all smeared with chicken manure and <laughs> dirt and dust and feathers and <laughs> The dust so thick you could hardly breathe, and the chickens all flew out the door as fast as they could go. And that's when I learned that running chickens up a greasy board didn't always work. I remember one day, uh, Grandma told uh, Verna that she wanted her to wash the dishes, the dinner dishes, right afternoon because. She hadn't done dishes for a few days, and she thought it'd be a good thing if she washed some dishes, and Verna didn't want to. And she just disappeared, and nobody knew where she'd gone, and they hunted around and called and that, but nobody got her, and Grandpa came in, and he says, what are you calling for? What's the matter? And uh, Grandma told him that they couldn't find Verna because she'd run away and hid because she didn't want to wash the dishes. And Grandpa said, oh, I think our cherry tree needs to be watered. Come on, Jenny, you can help me. We'll go water the cherry tree. And the water that they had there came from the mountain up above us, and the force on it, it came, had to come almost straight down the mountain, and the force it had was so strong that Sometimes it would shoot the skins off the new potatoes in a bucket if you put them under the tap when you opened the tap. But anyway, Grandpa took the hose and went up in the, uh, the cherry orchard that was right by the house. And he said to me, I've got to spray these trees because they... Need a, need a drink, I think. Let's spray these. And he turned the hose full force on one cherry tree and for a minute or two, and then he said, okay, let's do the next one, and we moved to the next one. And that was the one where Verna was hiding, and when Grandpa turned the hose of water on that cherry tree, did she scream, and she jumped down from the cherry tree, and she was soaking wet, and ran into the house and he said, go wash the dishes for Grandma. <laughs> so she went home and did the dishes like she was supposed to. Dad decided about this time to go out to Howell and uh, try to rent some land or do a little farming. Uncle George, Grandma's her mother's brothers all lived out there and had farms there. And so we went out to Howell for a little while. 
for the one summer to try it out and see how it worked. But we didn't have a house to live in, and we live we were living in a, a tent that had a wooden floor and wooden walls up about three feet on the side. And then it was a big square tent, and it wasn't too bad as I remember it. it was, could be quite comfortable at times. It was hot in the summer, but it uh, it was we could keep it clean and and uh, then we had some chickens, a few chickens to furnish us with eggs, and they roosted in the wagon. On Sunday, we had to push the chickens out so we could ride in the wagon to church, but <laughs> the chickens roosted in the wagon. And that kept them up off the ground, away from the snakes that would uh, get into them, and and the coyotes. And you could hear every night, you could, in morning, you could hear the coyotes howling around. And one day there was one coyote that just wouldn't leave the chickens alone. It kept holding, staying around the place there. And Dad was out and away from the place farming, and. Uh, Uncle George and Aunt Janie lived about, oh, about a half a block away from where our tent house was. And Mother sent me up to tell Aunt Janie to come and bring the gun down. So, <laughs> because there was a coyote that was bothering us. So Aunt Janie came, I ran up and told her, and she came, she gathered up the gun and put some bullets in it. And <laughs> came down and I can remember the coyote wouldn't leave and they tried shooing their apron, waving their aprons at it and yelling at it but it still wouldn't go away and stay so they decided they'd have to shoot it and, and so Aunt Janie went to hold the gun and up and shoot it and she couldn't hold it and pull the trigger at the same time it kept wobbling all over the landscape so she told Mother to come over and help her hold the gun. So Mother went over, and Aunt Janie and Mother held the gun between them and pointed it at the coyote and pulled the trigger, and they got the coyote. <laughs> uh, another day, uh, we had a couple of the hens had decided to set and raise some chickens and make a nest, and they picked a couple of places in some uh, brush that, or some sagebrush that was all grown in and quite thick, and they made their nests in there, and Dad looked at it, and he said, boy, I think that's a good idea. The coyotes would have a heck of a time trying to get into those chickens in there. So they laid their eggs in there and started hatching the, raising their chickens, and they started to hatch. And one day, Mother, Dad was out across the fence in another field trying to clear some sagebrush off the land. And Mother went out to check on things, and she said, Oh, my word, and she yelled, and <laughs> I ran out. And she, I was probably about four years old then. And she said, Take... Uh, run out and, t and tell Daddy to come quick because there's a snake here that's trying to eat 
our new baby chicks. And there was a big old rattlesnake that had a, a baby chick in its mouth trying to half, it was about half swallowed, and it was trying to swallow this baby chick. And so I ran out for Dad, and he saw me coming and running toward him, so he came toward me to see what was the matter, and I told him the, uh, the rattlesnake was eating the baby chicks, and we both ran back to the, to the yard, and he picked up a, a big pitchfork or, pitch or shovel or something that was there, a hole, I can't remember what it was, but anyway, he started to pound away for the, on the rattlesnake. And he finally did. He killed the rattlesnake, but it was too late for the chi for the baby chick. He, the thing had killed the baby chick too. And mother was standing there, and I was standing by her, watching what was going on. And mother had Bud. She picked up Bud in her arms so he wouldn't be down running around on the ground if the snake got away. And uh, and I moved over toward her and took a hold of her, her long skirt that reached clear down to her, over her ankles, almost to the ground. Her skirts did then. And uh, Dad said, you better, we'd better look around because there probably will be a mate for that rattlesnake somewhere. That was a female rattlesnake and and pro there's probably a male around here somewhere. And so he started looking around for it and pounding away at the brush and stirring up things. and that, But he couldn't find it. And uh, all of a sudden he looked up and he yelled at us and his voice would, came just like a shot. And he said, don't move, either one of you. And... We stood still, and Mother held on to Bud, and he started to squirm. You wanted to get down, and but she wouldn't put him down. She held on to him, and I stood there, hold of the side of her skirt, and he came up to us, and he picked me up and threw me in the wagon, and in about the next swoop, with his arms, he picked up Mother and Bud, and tossed them in the wagon, and then he started pounding the ground. And there, under Mother's skirt, where he'd gone to hide, was the mate to the rattlesnake. But Dad got it under the, <laughs> under the, after he got rid of, got us out of the way, then he killed the snake. And we went in the house, and Mother was so sick <laughs> and weak that she laid down on the bed with Bud, and he went to sleep right away. And... Uh, I kept wondering what had happened to that rattlesnake, both of them. <laughs> so I peeked out the door of the tent house, and there all the chickens were gathered around. They were eating both snakes, just pecking away at them, eating both of them. After staying out to Corinth, or to Howl for the summer, we decided to move back to Korean, and uh, we uh, bought, Dad bought a little home there. It had, on the north side of Korean, it had two large front rooms and then a slope on the back that had a kitchen and another bedroom. There was a bedroom and a living room on the front, and then a kitchen and a bedroom on the 
under the slope on the back. Of course, there was no plumbing, but we did have uh, the a cold water tap in a sink in the kitchen, which was quite a an improvement on having to haul water and and uh, pump it out of a pump out in the backyard. Uh, while we were living there, uh, Dad developed appendicitis, and we were, Corinne is about seven miles from Brigham, and to get him to the doctor in Brigham, uh, we had no car, and there wasn't one available, so they made him a bed in a wagon and hitched, hitched a team of horses to it and got him in the bed and covered him with a sheet up it was in the summertime when it was nice and warm and covered him with a sheet kind of propped up over his head for a shade and they hauled him to Brigham to the hospital and to Dr. Purse's hospital in Brigham to have his appendix out and that's <laughs> quite a change from what they do now. And they kept him there for two weeks and then they uh, let him come back home and he got along fine. Uh, I started school there and in the first grade my first teacher was a lady named Alice Johnson and I never forget her. She had white hair. She was an older lady and had white hair but she didn't have a family and she always wore white blouses and full black skirts and button shoes. <laughs> she was quite strict, but she was a good teacher, and I had a lot of respect for her and learned to read everything. It was uh, there. She was a teacher when I learned to read when Lenora was born there. And uh, I... I dearly loved Mrs. Johnson. I had her for first and second grade. The two grades were in one room. Uh, then uh, our neighbor through the block, Mr. Hadley, he was the one we had bought the house and lot from. He, uh, and by the way, this lot was right on the bank of Bear River. And to help out with the food, we Dad used to go down and put a throw line in the river, and it was baited, and then at night he'd go down and pull in his line, and he would catch, there were quite a few suckers on in the river, and he used to catch fish for us that way to have for, to eat. And they were good. They, Mother cooked them up, and they were real good to eat. But... Uh, Mr. Hadley was the first one in man in Corinne that had an automobile, and he had a, a Ford, a Model T Ford, and you had to crank it, and there was no door on the driver's side, and he was a heavy set, quite uh, rounded man. I'll bet he'd weighed two. He weighed a good two hundred pounds, and he wasn't too tall. But he'd crank and crank on that automobile. We watched him day after day. Bud and I would stand and watch him to get his car ready to go. And people used to hire him to take him to Brigham to the doctor or to do anything if they needed to go to Brigham. But <laughs> then 
he'd finally get it going and then he'd go around and if he had a he had to get in on the passenger's side that had a door on it but if he had a passenger sitting in there already waiting he'd try to climb over the side on the driver's side and he was so heavy that when he stepped on the running board it would tip the Ford up on <laughs> his side would go down and the other side would tip way up in the air and the engine would die then he had to do it over again and we've seen him try that to crank it and get it going and get in it half a dozen times before he would finally make it <laughs> to keep the car going and could back it out and go somewhere. While we lived there, I remember that uh, Bud, who was four when we went there, loved horses and he loved to play horse. And he'd like to, he had a little red wagon and he'd play that he was a horse and I had to sit in the red wagon and drive him. And of all the bumpy rides, I remember how bumpy it was and he never, and he'd go just as fast as he could run with it. And I always remember he never would let me be the horse and let him ride in the bumpy wagon. He had to be that horse all the time. It was 1918 now and the influenza was just raging everywhere and uh, my this was when Uncle Charlie's second wife Aunt Blanche died out to Howell and she left two little boys and uh, Uncle Charlie's first wife's children Verna and Ted they'd all f four children been living out to Howell in Uncle Charlie and Aunt Blanche's home but when she died he didn't have any place to put them and uh, dad was wondering whether he should uh, go out there and take up some land or something again he always wanted to get back out to Howell where the rest of his brother-in-laws were all farming and they seemed to be doing pretty well so we decided when Aunt Blanche died, we decided we would go back out to Howell and Mother would take care of Uncle Charlie's family. But the two small boys, uh, they decided, one of the neighbors asked them if they couldn't take the one boy and the other one, uh, some people in Tremont wanted to take him. So the two small boys by Aunt Blanche were taken care of, but Verna and Ted were still, they were both just, Ted was my age and Verna was the two years older. So there was the four of us within four years. And we, so we moved out there and we moved to the house that Uncle Charlie had been living in, which we called the big house. It was a house that had formerly been a hotel and been built out there but they it had been turned into a store and two or three different things but Uncle Charlie was living in it and there was plenty of room in it for two families but so we moved there but with Uncle Charlie's family and our family that made uh, quite a lot of people to do washing for well Mother and Dad had a washing machine that had a a lever on it or a wood 
stick that stuck up on it and you push that stick back and forth to turn the washer and you had to turn the the ringers with a big uh, handle that was attached to the ringer but anyway mother worked out a system so that we could get she could get all the washing done for the two families and she would set the alarm clock by the washing machine and each one of us, Verna and me and Ted and Bud, each had five minutes to work per washer load to work on that, <laughs> push that lever back and forth, that wooden lever. So that's how we did the washing. We, we kids provided the <laughs> steam to make the washer go. And we got along pretty well. Uh, we went to school out there, and I was in the, I started in the third grade, or fourth grade, when we moved out there. I was in the fourth grade. And uh, that spring, one of the little girls in Howell, that was about the same age as I was, had been sick, very sick. And they decided to take her to the temple in Logan and see if they could give her a blessing and help her to get better. And they asked everybody in the ward out there to fast and pray the day that they took her to the temple. So all we kids at school fasted that day. Well, by 11 o'clock, <laughs> I began to feel that I wasn't doing too well without any breakfast and hadn't had anything to eat since the night before. And we, I got sick in the room, and the teacher, I held up my hand to go out, and he nodded, and so I went out. But right out in the hall was a fountain that had uh, carvings around the base of the fountain. And I wobbled over to the fountain to get a drink and hope that would make me feel better because I felt so faint and sick. And just as I got my length from away from the fountain, I fainted and fell and cut cut my skin on my forehead and fractured my skull on that marble fountain. And uh, of course, they gathered me up and and mother came to school and took me home. And we only lived about a block from the schoolhouse. And <laughs> Verna helped me go, helped her walk me home. But uh, when I think about it, if it was now, people would really be...